But you know what else suffers? What? Me, while watching the apple. Or, as I like to call it, the crapple. Because it, that episode sucked. It wasn't that bad. Oh, it was that bad. Come on, it's a solid episode. It's not great. No, 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 that's because it's a solid episode because Gene L. Coon's idiot nephew who was interning dropped about four scripts, couldn't figure out which the real one was, and like took like a couple pages from Return of the Archons, a couple pages from this side of paradise, and like put it in with an erotic fanfic that he was writing, and that's the episode. Well, I appreciate the fact that you brought up Return of the Archons because of course this is like exhibit number one in forgetting exactly what the show did a few episodes yeah. ago. In a much more interesting and less... I felt a little dirty watching this episode. I don't know. Like, it, I don't want to see Chekhov and, like, a blonde ninja showing the ways of carnal pleasure to... Oompa Loompas. That's not what I wanted to be watching last night. Okay, well, there's about four different things there that we can pick up on. But number one, of course, yes. I I, I, I do appreciate the fact that we have William H. Macy playing an Oompa Loompa. That, I, that's number one. Uh, I also appreciate the fact that this is the second... You know, it's funny because um, it, I don't really recall a lot of my opinion of Chekhov in general. Like, I always... Because okay, so this I have to go into a little bit of background here because I came to Star Trek with the Next Generation, yeah. and the Next Generation was my show for a long time. I had seen episodes of, of of the original series here and there. They used to do a Fourth of July marathon on uh, on Channel Eleven uh, here in New York, and I used to watch it. Um, and then, of course, as I got a little bit older, uh, I, I I had seen the the entire show. Uh, but I had come to it late, and I had actually seen the original series cast movies before I had seen um, most of the bulk of the original series. So I always sort of had a very kind of turned around introduction to all of these characters. And while going in that backwards fashion, I see Spock is pretty much the same. Kirk is pretty much the same. Like all the characters are are, are fairly consistent between the show and the movie. I don't necessarily feel that Chekhov is consistent between the show and the movies. And part of that is just because I don't think Chekhov is a very well-defined character in general, beside the fact that he's Russian. Um, And I also find it weird because he was older in the movies. And so he took on a different role in the movies than he did in the show. Well, yeah, he's an adult in the movies and a basically a teenager or he's 20 ish right he's supposed to be like a teeny bopper kind of character yeah. in the show it's sad and... when you get walter canning to be the one that you... <laughs> because i came to walter canning through uh babylon 5 where he plays probably the best character in the series and so... i think yeah and i think especially early on in these early episodes uh they don't really have a good idea of what to do with Chekhov. i think it was just sort of like let's have a young character who's russian in the show and we'll figure it out later I let it go in uh, the the in Who Mourns for at an ice, um, but I can't really let it go in the apple. <laughs> Chekhov is kind of a creepy rapist. Yeah, he is. He's a tiny little troglodyte that should not be anywhere near women. I mean, they drop it later because I think they were supposed to set him up as some sort of like teenage sex symbol. <laughs> uh, and you know, okay, I, I, you know, like standards. Hygiene was different back then. Standards, standards were of beauty, different. Yeah, they, they were all different. They were just different, and I, I cannot judge. Uh, yes, you can. I would. Would you have sex with Chekhov? No. There you go. Why? Why would anybody ever have sex with Chekhov? Like no, no. I just love the part. Where I just I'm like gonna vomit in my mouth thinking and, about it. And like half of the time he's like paying attention. This is actually I I like the woman in this episode because half of the time when he's like fawning over her, she's actively worrying about the plot of the episode. Unlike every other random woman that's been there who is. You know, the second something happens, she gets seduced by the bad guy. She actually gives a shit about the problem that they're dealing with. You know, she's like, oh, gee, people have died. No. How do we get out of this planet? If, Yeah, she cares. 
I like I like her a lot. Yeah. I think she's awesome. And I don't think we ever see her again. And that's really a shame because as female characters in the original series go, she's like up there. Not only did she, not only was she competent, not only was she paying attention to what was going on. Yeah. Coming up with like good questions for what yeah. what exactly they should be trying to figure out. Uh she was politely sort of like refusing Chekhov's advances a yeah. little bit. And that's one of the weird things about the original series too, since there's it's since it's an anthology series and there is some some light continuity between episodes. I mean, you know, sort of the 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 setting of the show stays the same. And we have, you know, Starfleet and the Federation and all these kind of things from from you know, episode to episode. Yeah. And obviously characters show up, even minor characters, you know, two, three, and four times throughout the course of the series before they go away again. We don't really get a good sense of the interpersonal relationships between the like more recurring characters like Chekhov and 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 her. And so there's really no we have no basis for what to judge their relationship on. Are they actually supposed to be in a relationship? Is he just hitting on every female character inappropriately, thinking that they're going to go for him because he's a little moppet? I, I don't I don't understand that part of it. And what's more, it's it's insanely creepy the way that he interacts with these female characters. Now I will say I did go off on a little side tangent there. The other thing I love about her is that when they get into the fight yeah. at the end, she's just like she takes in down there. two guys. Now, granted, these are people who've never fought before, but still, like they have weapons, they've caught them by surprise, and she just very calmly, like it isn't even a thing. She just judo flips both of them, so she has like a lot in a miniskirt. She has a lot of martial arts training. She is as good of a fighter as anybody. Like I, I want to see a spinoff with the her yeah. as like the captain of. A ship, and she also has like out of the women one of the more like she just has her hair just tied up in a ponytail. One of the more practical, like I'm 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 at work in a physical position, uh, hairstyles. I have to say, I think I'd assume that there would be a lot of, at the very least, brief or casual relationships among the ship's ship staff because i mean you have it's like anybody in the military there are flings you know you would have a bunch of people who are just long hours working together and married to their jobs really so why not just you know bone when you get the chance i had assumed that you know their condom technology is light years ahead of ours so um yeah you might be dead tomorrow so have one orgasm today basically you know that that makes sense that's i think a lot of that and they keep it professional um but i mean okay come on i think a lot of her problem yeah is less that she's rejecting his advances and more like they if they have a physical relationship that's after hours like He's trying to like bone her while they're on a mission, and she's like, uh, uh, "People are dying. Like, you know, we'll we'll do that when we get back to the ship." But... Hey, guy, we're stuck here. Yeah, and like we got to get off the planet. Let's not yeah. let's not fool around right now. Yeah, I think that's more it. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, Chekhov does Chekhov does still come across as a creepy rapist because yeah. at the very least, he yeah. is very very bad at reading signals. And I'm saying when a woman does not want to touch you <laughs> perhaps you should go do something else for a while like your job check off well, why is check off there what does he add to the landing party that's that's what i'm saying isn't he the pilot he's the pilot he's, what, I, what, what, does, is, what is his job he's the intern right i don't know what he does i don't <laughs> he's gene l coon's idiot nephew yeah, I just Chekhov is not, and I yeah, I don't know. I just he's not doing well for me. I do like I did like the one line though that she said where um she said oh if it wasn't for Val this place would be a paradise well except for the thorn flowers that kill people and the landmine rocks and the uh you know umpteen other de- deadly things that are in this environment like did she forget about those. Yeah, apparently not. I, I I think they don't they don't really know necessarily remember things from page to page. There is um like Kirk keeps holding flowers while saying, Wow, all the deadly plants, sniff sniff. It's like, okay Well here's Yeah, one thing can kill you. Yeah, you, you'll avoid all of the flora, just in case. At well, point. I think okay, so uh, here's the thing about about the apple though, is that I understand exactly what you're saying. And if you pay attention to the structure of the episode I think that the first 17 minutes of the episode 
were written in about 10 minutes and were written after the fact and were added to the episode because it ran short. Because the first 17 minutes are just like, yeah. they're not good and they're not exactly boring, but it's such there's a no, they're, they're very... Um, Star Trek by the numbers. They're very yeah. It's very it feels, the red shirts gets killed. It feels very there's, inert. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just not anything going on, and you know Spock. It's the red shirt dies, and then you know ten minutes later Spock gets shot by the thing again, and you know, and then uh, once they meet uh, the guy, the William H Macy has an Oompa Loompa. Yeah. Uh, it the episode I think does pick up a little bit, and it, it if it had continued in the vein that it started out in, I think it would have been a bad episode. Oh yeah. At at the end of the day, once we introduce those characters, we introduce Val, and they sort of have to figure out what exactly is going on here. Um, it gets a little better, but it never really rises above no. its source material, and it also doesn't ever really strike me like the writer of this episode knew what was going on. Yeah. Like, I think he, he thought, scary thing controlling these people they're gonna destroy it end of story it there's no yeah. there's no sense of a backstory here really no no you don't find it and now the 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 show a lot of times will go in uh the nomad episode and the uh doomsday machine uh that we're going to be talking about you don't there are a lot of episodes where you don't get a clear well here is where we came from and here's where the threat came from and here's what happened archons is another one where it's very kind of cryptic but they give enough hints that you can sort of figure – you can fill in the holes yourself or it doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's and that's what I mean. I'm not saying that it's missing a backstory or it's missing details because we don't get them more often than not. And I think yeah. that's, a, that's to the show's credit. I think that's one of the show's strong suits that it doesn't feel the need to explain everything. But yeah. Here but is- here, I think the difference is in those episodes, in the strongest episodes of the original series – there's a they develop a sense that those are out there that those answers are there with this it just kind of feels like the writer put it there yeah exactly (laughs) yeah there's no real rhyme or reason as to why they're doing this or why it's necessarily bad just because it kind of is and you know then you have all this you know you're trying to get this garden of eden metaphor which is messed up by the fact that vol is a serpent that vol is the one teaching them to kill which is a thing to do is the definition that they give in the episode um there's all of this going back and forth with you know this is a really half-assed jrpg level uh, version of gnostic philosophy except it doesn't really understand or know where to do with it and it ends it all it, to just end and everything it just kind of sidesteps it with a joke about how spock looks like the devil yeah and the end well the ending is problematic right because of course anybody who's uh seen any or th- seen any television or read anything ever uh would very quickly pick up on the garden of eden metaphor would very quickly pick up on the fact that kirk is uh, pretty much taking the role of Satan in this little teleplay. Um, and then, of course, they they cut the legs out from under it at the very end by saying, well, Spock, are you saying that I am Satan? Is there anyone on this ship of the stars that looks like the human devil? <laughs> Why, Captain, no, there is no one on this ship. I do not see anyone like that. Then the credits roll. And you're like, yeah. what is that? I, yeah, what it- is that? This, it, it, like, of course, the, and the, the original series does that a lot, but it's usually more clever than that. No, it's 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 a very half-assed written. I mean, there's the uh, there's one line that keeps sticking to, towards saying we're doing a routine exploration of this unexplored planet, which, number one, like within that very sentence, I, can you have a routine exploration of something that's never been explored? No, you're charter, charting that planet. You are I mean, discovering there, that planet. That's not routine. There could be there could be procedures. There could be steps in place. You know, you do this, you do yeah, this, then you do this. Just, you're looking for certain things. You're measuring certain things. But yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's kind of a bad line. Clumsy shit like that. Even the even the thing where Spock finds this rock made of styrofoam, cracks it in half, and tosses the other half to the side. Like, now that's how they find out that they're explosive, but is there anything we've ever seen of any version of Spock, even accepting that smiling Spock from the cage is canon? 
Is there any version of Spock where he would have just taken the other side of the sample and flung it like a Frisbee to the side? He would have carefully placed it down because that is who Spock is. Yes, that's a good point. And also, <laughs> and also speaking of this idea of this episode not being developed fully, if you have like a highly volatile mineral like that and throwing it on the ground lightly would cause it to explode, I kind of think that breaking it in yeah. half would <laughs> also cause it to explode. You know, I'll, I have to say. Why does Spock still have hands? That's all I'm saying. Well, look, the guy survived was the one guy who could survive the thorn plants. He could survive fucking lightning. Whenever they don't just don't want to kill Spock, like, and they they're not even trying. This just episode it wasn't even trying. I guess. Yeah, I guess that's really the takeaway from it, right? This episode doesn't try. Yeah. Which is funny because they try later on to have sex and they don't do it well. So I mean, okay, let, let's. And that was another. Th- yeah, they they, I. I the fart part, the, the the fart that made me feel creepy. <laughs> uh, the part that made me feel the most, the, the, because while I'm not the theme of, you know, here is a bunch of people who sex is not a thing and, you know, this is a bit of the natural world and, you know, all of that and, you know, a way of pleasure, all of, all of that I'm fine with. But it's the fact that, especially due for the standards of television of the time, they have to talk around it. In such a that made it feel skeezy. Like they can't even they can't even say something like when a man and a woman make love. Yeah, like, like that. You you. It, it's hard for me to accept that you're viewing sex as a natural, beautiful way of cre- forging a connection between two people when you can't say the word sex. Right. That's where I guess I'm having problems. And I guess the other problem I have with that, of course, is. Why does Vol think that sex is bad? That that's never explained. Well, that's be- yeah. I, whoever wrote this didn't like growing up Catholic. Yeah, probably. That's 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 what this is. I mean, we're all, we're kind of looping around the main issue, of course, of the episode, which is what is Vol? What what does what does this thing want? What is it? What what purpose does any of this serve? I mean, I even feel like in Return of the Archons, you get a little bit of you don't get an explanation for it, but at the very end, when you find out that Landru is a is a computer, uh, you can kind of like fill in the blanks using your imagination and saying, yeah. "Oh well, this civilization did X, and, and this there is why a, this is like this." I, yeah, my, there was a horrible war, or whatever. They created this in order to protect the people. Some kind of. It, and and again, it doesn't a hundred percent matter. The conflict of that is why. How do we get a, get get around what is going on, and how do we get around it? The re the, the backstory is only sort of important. Yeah, and I think that's an important point, right? Because it doesn't really matter because the meat of the episode is something else entirely in Return of the Archons. But they give in in the they apple give it enough to make it clear that whoever wrote the Archons episode knows exactly what Landry's backstory. Oh, I doubt is. they do. But I think but I think that you're giving them a little too much credit well, I think. They, but, they have more of an idea and they just put less than they thought. Well, yeah, but I think Here, but I but I think the real point is that in Return of the Archons that wasn't really the point of the episode. In the apple there is no point to the episode. There is no meat of the episode. And so by having such a half-developed force in this episode that we don't know anything about, we have no reason why it exists, why it does anything, it has no motivation, n- n- nothing. That This is a motivationless episode. Nothing in this episode it takes any sort of yeah. effort at all, and, and nothing seems to really happen. No, it feels like a 16-year-old who read a book on a pamphlet on Gnosticism and, you know, really hated going to church and wrote a science fiction story. And great, you're 16. This is a really creative premise, let's say. And, you know, you, you, you take it in an interesting direction. Very good. Now, you know... Flush it out. And that guy grew up to be J.J. Abrams, and this is how the first draft of Lost. Like, that's <laughs> that's kind of just what I got from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you even even in this episode, you, you do get uh, sort of this hand-wavy, like, oh, the Enterprise is crashing again. Just for no reason, really. I mean, just because they need to have something that's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. dangerous in the episode, I guess. Oh, and why didn't they, like, and, and they wait till, like, the very end to, you, you, you know, Fire it with phasers when they could have done that already. Like, they they just kind of... Kirk is too lackadaisical. Like, he doesn't try to figure... 
he he's just like, okay, well, it's going to take them eight hours to fix it, so let's just eat all of this delicious fruit and just kind of hang out instead of, well, let me see if there's... Because usually when they have something like that, then Kirk and the away team are doing something planet-side to figure out the mystery. And right. To, you, I figured when they got to that point, then, okay, the rest of the episode will be Kirk you know, going inside Vol. What's inside there? I, I was ready for that set. And you never get it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically Snake Mountain yeah. from, from He-Man, and Aww. that's it. No, I was and so I, scared of that with the ooze that came out of the mouth. <laughs> scary. <laughs> and the smoke and everything. Yeah. No, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I think it, it, more to the point, uh, you know, they do kind of explain it where they say that, you know, Vol gets hungry and they have to feed Vol, and, and we don't even really know what that means. They all just sort of go in there and then they come out again. And I they say that when, drop food when, in there when Vol is being, yeah, and is there like a thing in there? I mean, is, is, uh, is Baylock in there? Like, what's going Aww. on? <laughs> you know? Um, and they do give this sort of like hand wavy explanation where when when Vol is being refueled, his power levels drop and his force field goes down, and so they can shoot him then, um, which is fine as explanations go, yeah, I guess. I, but I, I just anything that'll end the episode. The other thing we should probably talk about is the Prime Directive because the Prime Directive comes up again in this episode. Yeah, and it's resolved in the exact same way that it was in Archons, except they have a discussion to get to that point. That makes no sense. I do like the fact that they bring it up. Yeah. Um, it shows a remarkable level of thematic continuity okay. for the original series. They didn't forget about it, which I like, um, because you kind of get the sense that in its first appearance in Return of the Archons, it was another one of those tossed off ideas that may or may not have gone anywhere. Yeah, I they, think- they mention reels and regulations from time to time, just the next one has one that they create, you know, kind of for the purpose of the plot. Right. So in this episode, you know, it is a problematic episode, I think, because uh, number one, they're making contact with aliens that don't know about space travel, presumably. So that's mm-hmm. a problem, uh, which they explicitly say in the Archons, I believe that that is not allowed. Um, and then, of course, Spock says, oh, well, you know, you can't. You, you can't uh, uh, shut Val down because that would be violating the prime directive. And Kirk is like, eh, I'm going to do it anyway. And there's no, and there's no like, you know, I mean, and that's what Kirk does. I mean, Kirk doesn't follow orders. I mean, we see that in the next episode. Uh, that's something that Kirk does a lot, but there is no sense there that there's any sort of like logical reason for Kirk's actions. And it, he just decides to do it because he wants to do it. And maybe he's bored. We don't know. I mean, it's consistent with his um, decision at the end of this side of paradise. Um, the Really, the only the differences between the two societies is that um, this side of paradise was a wholly a symbiotic relationship with the environment that was not prescribed by anything. And then this Val is some kind of uh, assumedly some alien or occult force that has well, been— we because it's I, I we don't know who built Vol. We never, we can't find that enough. You are you are forgetting one thing, of course, which is that in in this side of paradise, that was a Federation colony, and all the rules are out. The Prime Directive doesn't apply. Yes, that is true. So um, yeah, no, very fair point. Um, but in both, he 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 figures that having this easy life is not the way of humanity and that humanity needs to be building and creating and making things other than itself. Now, if you do look at, um, you know, from a biology standpoint, one of the definitions of life is that it does reproduce itself, that it can, and uh, things that cannot are not considered life, I believe. Um, And I assume that that discussion is a lot more complex than we are having for the purposes of this thing. But the point is... Reproduction is and growth and all of that are major parts in the definition of life and these people do not have that. So yeah, but I mean there there is they're alive. Uh, well, but Kirk's view is they're in stasis really because they don't grow, they don't change, they don't develop. Their society will not grow, change, or develop. Their culture won't. They will have just this. Uh, Assuming no outside interference, this on day one and this 10 billion years from now will be, you know, they will have this, there will be the same dozen people in the same village and all involved will still be there. Yeah, but I, but you know, I think if you think about this, okay, let's think about this in terms of the 
culture in which Star Trek is created. And Kirk is basically taking the role of the American government in Vietnam. Okay. I mean, maybe this is a stretch. I don't know. But... And he's saying, well, no, I don't like this for these reasons. They may be valid reasons. I mean, I'm not saying that he doesn't have valid reasons. And I think, on the whole, a growing, changing, living, breathing society is better than one that is stagnating and Uh, is being externally controlled to stay the same. Then again, we don't know what Vol is, but leaving that aside, let's assume that Vol is created by an alien that, you know, this is i don't know maybe this is a zoo i don't know i mean no it turns out that these people really are like the children of like this horrible space monster and the ball keeps them in this state so that way where they are happy you know and so but it's a prison for them because the second you know they start going they become you know multiply powerful and wipe out the entire universe well i think what we're really missing here is that we know exactly who built ball who willy wonka yes I could go for some chocolate about now. I mean, if they're Oompa Loompas. Um, <laughs> but, you know, okay, so so Kirk decides that he doesn't like this. Okay, fine. Kirk Kirk doesn't have to like it. Um, number one, what right does he have to destroy their way of life? I mean, because this is a way of life. I mean, maybe they don't choose it, but this is a way of life. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that at the very end of the episode... He stands there and he's like, okay, you're free now. You'll, you'll figure it out. And then he just leaves. And how is that not different from when, say, the American government goes in and topples a government and then goes, okay, you're free now. And then they just leave. And they don't, they don't set up any institutions to help them. They don't set up any rules. They're just like, you know what, you guys, you're cool. Like... And maybe they did fine, you know? Uh, maybe there would have been an episode of The Next Generation in 100 years, and they would have gone to Vol's planet, and, you know, they're all sitting around, and they're, uh, I don't know, chopping on Black Friday. But <laughs> yeah, but th- we don't know. Maybe they all here. maybe they all starved to death. I mean, maybe all the women died in childbirth. I mean, we don't know. Well, and so it's, it's kind I of mean, disturbing. If you remember the... Uh, I, I mean, because biblically, there is a lot going on here. If you remember right after... You know, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. There is um, this, you know, line to the effect of, you know, you you will have pain of childbirth. You will have to till the soil. You will have to do all of these things. You know, you will, you know, you won't have the easy life. Um, this reframes that as rather than a loss of paradise uh, as it is typically portrayed or, you know, taken to be. Here, the loss of paradise is seen as the gaining of, you know, the world or one's humanity or a next stage of development. So they are reframing uh, that as a good thing. Of course, they aren't really – I worry that that takes too much of a literalist interpretation of this Bible story. Which ulti- and also one that assumes that the direction of the way that it, 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 it's an optimistic philosophy in the sense of this is the best of all possible worlds, uh, which is one that you know I have a lot of problems with because the way that things have gone historically is not the one way of it. So the, you, you you you've said that the opportunity for first contact comes with the development of warp. That's the thing that they've discovered. Um, But that is a Federation-centric view of universe, which assumes that warp is the only way that one can travel from place to place, or that this one direction is the way that the world should go. So, of course, Kirk is going to see something, see something not going in the direction of the Federation society and say, well, that's bad, that's erring, that's not developing because it's not evolving in the one way that evolution needs to go. But at the same time, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you, and I I do think that that is how Kirk thinks more often than not. And it's not that that he doesn't want the society to develop just one way. I think he just wants that society to have the ability to develop. Does that make sense? And I think that, uh, there's a, there's a, I mean, we can revisit this when we get into the next generation because the next generation does handle these things much more differently than, than the original series does. And I think you're right that there's much more of a sense in the original series that, uh, 
any action is better than no action. Yeah. But- and that you may not have all of the available information, but you shouldn't become paralyzed because of that fact. Whereas, and I think that that, I, I think that that sort of attitude is very indicative of the time, the time span that the original series was created in. Oh yeah. And it changes drastically 20 years later, which I also find interesting when, you know, the sixties were a time of, of optimism. There were a lot of horrible things going on, obviously. Um, you know, but there were so many radical cultural and societal changes being wrought in the sixties. And there was a sense that things get better. And just because you don't have all of the available information doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to make things better. And I think, think that's what this is reflecting and i think it's a little bit problematic yeah i i i i i can understand i'm not really sure where to go with that you know i i i i think all of this is unintended by the episode i will say which doesn't no absolutely which doesn't invalidate our reading but um and that is definitely the way the series as a whole takes it i just this episode, there was a mindful version of this episode in the world, and that was not the version we got. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I will say that I, I think it's a it's a solidly middling episode of the original series. And like I said, the second season is pretty much like this. Even the worst of it isn't awful. This is not an unwatchable episode by any means. And it has it has some fun moments in it, so... So how many triples would you give it? I think it's a five. I, I mean, it's just a regular average episode. This is a three triple episode. I actually actively didn't like it. Hmm. All right. I, I like. I would not would not watch again. There's just if I want to watch episodes on this theme, there's much better ones to do. That's fair. All right. Should we move on to the Doomsday Machine? Yes. Let's do this. Or should I say, let's doom this? My brain hurts now. It should. So what did you think about this Doomsday Machine episode, Richard? <laughs> well, because I'm seven, uh, I basically viewed the main, uh, the robot, the Doomsday Machine itself, as a Goatsy-inspired fleshlight. Okay. And which makes, number one, uh, uh, Sulu's reaction shot to it hilarious, and number two, the other captain's reaction shots as he's dying even more hilarious. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh so I couldn't take that seriously. That being said, I liked this episode a lot. No, it's a fantastic episode. I mean, let's just get that right out there. It's a good one. Be- and I did not expect anything from the beginning of it, actually. Um, I figured that this would be another one of those, okay, well, there's a thing that's attacking us, and we've got to figure it out. And while that is the main plot of the episode, um, this Doomsday device is almost seen as an afterthought. The real... V- problem of this episode is this other captain yeah who's running around he becomes the main antagonist really he's unhinged yeah yeah which i thought was really interesting well there's definitely shades of of, of moby dick in this i mean let's not beat around the bush uh, you know i think there's a lot of that in there um okay yeah you're right <laughs> commodore decker is basically ahab um on a much smaller scale of course or a much bigger scale depending on how you view it and I think that it's interesting because it shows – I like this episode so much, I think, because it shows the way that Kirk could go yeah, and it, how the Enterprise is fragile. And we don't see that a lot. I think this is the first time that we see a Federation star, another Federation starship, and this is the first time that we see one and it's destroyed. Yeah, it's it's pretty much said that, you know, if it, it was it's luck that made Kirk be the one, you know, one who got there second. If they had been closer, if the planet had been different, it may have been this other guy saving Kirk and his company. You know, we, yeah. based on Kirk's, uh, you know, descriptions of this other captain, you assume that they're equally competent. Um, he's a Commodore. He's even higher ranked. So assumedly he has shown many things of bravery and, you know. He's an excellent at what he does. Yeah. This is just 
he made a decision based, again, on the available information that turned out to be the wrong one. And we know how much Kirk angsts about that. He does, from time to time, worry about whether he's making the right decision or not. This is we're seeing what this is what he's so worried about happening, actually. No, absolutely. This and, is Kirk's biggest fear. And it's interesting because, um, of course, in, in, in the original series, we, we don't see a lot of Kirk making the wrong decisions. I mean, sometimes we do. Um, you know, maybe for an episode like, I don't know, Court Martial or something like that, for yeah. example. Nothing that he can't uh, get out of. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing that he can't escape from. And but at the same time, we see the results of some of Kirk's actions years later in yeah. in other movies and other TV shows. And so it makes sense in that you can't really have the captain, the the primary protagonist of your space adventure show being a flawed character. It, it's, you know, 40 years now we can do that. Uh, 40 years later, we can do that. But in the 60s, you couldn't really get away with that. Um, he is your action hero and he needs to be right most of the time and yeah. competent most of the time. And so the way that you show incompetence is through another character, which, of course, is Commodore Decker. Yeah, the only times that Kirk messes up. Again, it's something earlier in an episode where he makes a decision either based on lack of information or something, and he ha- has to spend the rest of the episode fixing it. And that it's considered a lesson learned type of thing. That's how the show, you know, that's the most the show goes in. But what I like about this episode is that Commodore Decker maybe comes across as as a little unhinged, but he never comes across, you don't get the sense that he is incompetent. And I like the fact that the episode is so thoughtful about that because he makes a mistake. He then beams his entire crew down to a planet, which is then destroyed. Yeah. And I mean, that I think that was pretty much the moment where he did become unhinged. I think that he was probably hanging it together pretty well until then. Yeah. That's that's probably the worst you can mess up as a ship's captain. Losing the ship. I mean, he's very insistent on... You know, we have to take the ship with us because that's the last thing he has. Like, if he loses the ship, he has really lost everything. Yeah. And, I mean, what what do we see from—I mean, we, we don't see that much uh, characterization from him. But what we do see is he is a very uh, loyal man who wants to protect his crew, couldn't do it. He's, like, incredibly broken up over it. And when they beam over, he's the last one on the ship. And so yeah. he, he did exactly what a captain is supposed to do. He is supposed to go down with his ship, and he's ready to go down with the ship. And then much later in the episode, of course, uh, he sacrifices himself. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, by flying the shuttlecraft into uh, the, the machine and gives Kirk the idea to do the same thing with, with his ship, with the Constellation. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a very, um, you know, I almost want to say it's a very Christian episode. Like, it's it's sort of this, like, weird sacrifice kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? See, I disagree very much with that uh, because I don't see the command, uh, the Commodore as sacrificing. It, 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 his death is only a sacrifice in retrospect. At the time when he's flying into this thing, literally everybody says this is suicide. This isn't going to do anything. He just flies a tiny shuttle. It's not like he's flying a bomb in there. If he were flying a bomb, I'd say that's one thing. But he's just kind of realized, I've lost everything. Nobody on this ship trusts me. Uh, no one believes that I'm doing the right thing. Because from his perspective, going to ignoring Captain Kirk and saving the colony of Rigel is the higher priority to the Commodore. He's insisting on this, because, but he's not doing the wrong thing necessarily. From his perspective, that's the more important thing. One life as opposed to, you know, how our many lives are on the colony. Okay. So when he – he only drives and steals the ship and drives into the uh, doomsday machine when he has nothing. And he's basically saying like, oh, you know, they didn't – you know, I couldn't save them. So, you know, I've lost it. I have nothing. You know, he's not sacrificing himself. He's committing suicide. It's only Kirk's – interpretation of the data surrounding his suicide that lead him to figure out that give his death meaning and they're part of the reason i would say that he needs to bring the constellation is because of the identification with the captain in his ship by sacrifice by turning the constellation into a site of sacrifice he therefore retroactively makes the 
other co- the Commodore's suicide a sacrifice instead of a meaningless and stupid action from a mentally unhinged man. Okay, that's one interpretation. Um, and I, I, I can see how you might come to that conclusion, but I don't think that there's enough information either way to know exactly what was going on through Decker's mind. Well, and then can, that, the idea there, of, and of course I think you know either interpretation is probably equally valid. I mean, I, I go with the interpretation that uh, I think fits the available facts a little better just because he is a ship's captain. He is presumably someone who is as competent as Kirk as intelligent as Kirk, um, he knows his shit. And he's also, I mean, Kirk is brave. I mean, all of these things I think are going into this. There's some intuition there that you need to go on. I think there's some gut instinct that you need to be a captain, Uh, which is interesting because, of course, we had an episode where Spock was in charge and and those things came up in in the Galileo 7. And and we we see that those things are necessary to perhaps be in command. and so if you think about it in those terms as well, uh, not forgetting that episode, you know, I think you have to, I, I like to give Decker the benefit of the doubt and say that, okay, maybe he didn't, it's possible that he didn't consciously come up with a plan to destroy the doomsday machine. But I think on some level, he knew that his actions were going to be either helpful in destroying the machine or in giving them some knowledge with which to destroy it. Because if he wanted to commit suicide, there are a lot of other ways he could have done it that weren't as, um, that weren't as dramatic and, and weren't as big, right? Yeah, but he failed and he's using the source of that failure to punish himself. No, sure, yeah, and I think there's some part of that that's there. See, I, I mean, I, need, I agree with that. But I, think I you if need you go, to view how uh, the Commodore reacts when he is flying into that versus how Kirk is reacting during his plan, because both of their plans involve literally flying into the mouth of this thing. Uh, the, the, the Commodore seems to be, well, I'm going to fling into this, and hopefully it'll destroy that. Kirk is saying, I'm going to fling into this, and hopefully I won't get killed as a result. Kirk obviously accepts that. Yeah. But he doesn't want that. He's till the very end, you know, kind of almost annoyed at everybody for not doing it. Like, he's pissed at that, but, you know. Yeah, but I think there are a couple things there. I think number one is that um, Decker is allowed to be vulnerable in a way that Kirk is not allowed to be vulnerable just because he is not the main character of the show, number one. Um, I also think that you have to look at it. You're forgetting, of course, that, I mean, and you even mentioned this, that Decker lost his crew and is a bit unhinged. And so you can't really compare the two, you know, you can't really compare the way that the two men face down death because in one case, Decker is is mentally is mentally compromised and Kirk is not. And so that's a difference. I mean, I, I certainly can see the situation reversed where Decker and the constellation come onto the scene and the end of the episode is basically the same, except it's Decker instead of Kirk. And in that case, Decker would not be crying and would not be, you know, and all these kind of things, right? And then if you look at it in terms of, you know, I don't want to get into a big, like, theological discussion, but, you know, we went to Catholic school. If 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 you're bored by this, fast forward for five minutes. Um, I'm certainly not trying to compare Decker to Jesus, but (laughs) I think that, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it'll be fun. Uh, If you think about you know, the the last days of Christ, he didn't want to do it either. And he didn't even really know why he was doing it. And so if Jesus didn't want to do it and didn't even know why he was doing it, I don't think that it's really fair. And, and no one else knew why Jesus was doing it either. Yeah, I mean, but you, here's the thing. If you, don't, if you, don't re- if you remember, all the apostles were like, dude, what the hell? Why are you doing this? Yeah, but here's the thing. I wonder almost if the show is saying, well, yes, it's we understand why Decker is doing this. It's sad. He, you know, made a mistake. But 
you don't get to be the captain of a starship and the star of your own series and to live to the next episode if you fuck up like that. Like, I think... I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think the show is almost saying that if you, now now this is not the way that we construct heroism today. This is not the way that we have understood main characters to be for the past few decades. But if you're talking in a 1967, 1968, the hero has to be flawless and the hero has to make the right, you know, what will be the dis- right decision at all the time. And if you don't make that you don't get to call yourself a hero. You have to be on 100%. I think Kirk is a reflection of that view that you don't get – yeah, you don't get to be in the main character unless you're perfect. And that's a lot of – it's a burden to be perfect, but that's what you got to do. He doesn't have that luxury. You know, Kirk does not believe in the no-win scenario. Sure, I don't disagree with that, but yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know what your point is. I, well, I, I, I'm, I, 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 I don't think – I think you're being – a lot more sympathetic towards Decker than the show necessarily uh, believes he deserves. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think that the show doesn't want us to view Decker sympathetically? Maybe sympathetically, but he's less of a hero. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 he's not the I, one who saved the day. It was I Kirk. will go. I mean, you know, I will go by what Kirk says at the end of the episode where you know, Spock asks him if Decker's death will be reflected in the line of duty as a hero's death yeah. or whatever he says. And Kirk is like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I got to go with the show on that one. Okay. I also got to go with the show, which, uh, you know, even though viewed him as a, you know, the show does view him as a hero, but he didn't do enough. I think. Anytime somebody sacrifices themselves and it does, you know, in that way, Kirk gets a little upset and views it a little bit as a waste. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, at the same time, Decker's sacrifice allows Kirk to come up with the plan that does save the day. And if you think about it in terms of the constrictions of, you know, this sort of genre television in 1968 or 67 when this was on, it was a 67, 67, um, you know, the, the episode could not have ended with Decker saving the day just because again, um, you know, to use your own argument against you, the only reason why Decker is not the hero is because the, uh, the, the constrictions of the genre television of 1967 don't allow him to be. And so if you look at it in those terms, I think you'll find that I am correct. So therefore, a, 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 the, the gods of narrative or the vol of narrative has uh, placed Decker in the firing line and therefore only by destroying the serpent of plot necessity can we open up the door for a flawed anti-hero. Searching I for redemption. Guess so. And I guess at the end of the day, I mean, it is we have to take the Cold War into consideration because you know. Well, I mean, they even mention the H bomb. Yeah, so. yeah. This is you know basically saying the Cold War is going to lead to a gigantic, uh, inappropriate looking thing attacking everybody and killing us all. So it's kind of sad when you think about it. Yeah, I because guess Because so. it was really Chekhov's country that was at fault here. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, you know, he did have that line in the Apple where he said that the Garden of Eden was outside Moscow, which is just bullshit, and shut up, Chekhov. Yeah. Shut up. Just shut up, Chekhov. Nobody likes hearing you talk. You don't do any work. You just like to, to, to hit on women inappropriately. Just just go away, please. He's, he's the intern. No, I think that... Uh, there is that weird line, like that exchange where Kirk is like, well, it's a doomsday machine. And remember in the past when people built, do- I'm like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, Was that a thing? No. Like, I don't know where that came from. Like, I don't remember. Like, I mean, I guess, but what is he I, talking about? Like, that was weird. Yeah. Basically saying that, you know, nobody wants to, nobody uses the ultimate weapon because you, you know, obviously it will kill everybody, but you need to have it just to prevent the other guy from attacking you. You need to have the trump card. I mean, I mean, I guess. But... That's. I mean, but that was that's the point of the butter battle book. Like you know, the unarmed, <laughs> an arms race leads to something that's going to destroy everybody. Who knew and... that the butter battle book was going to be still in print in the twenty third century? Well. Nobody, because they thought that the butter battle would have killed everybody. Yeah. No, I. I mean, yeah, but again, we did use the atom bomb. Twice, 
so to end war so like that's a fact that exists um well they, that they, they, this was in the 60s that hadn't happened yet no it had happened like 20 years prior to this episode really yeah remember hiroshima nagasaki i'm no thank you i had i had some last night and it was good but like the miso soup is really bad like my the japanese place they have really good sushi but everything else is kind of awful well we just lost all our japanese listeners so thank you for that um yeah i guess that was weird uh the other thing i want to bring up about this episode which i thought was interesting is um we haven't really talked about uh the machine and um I think the machine is the least interesting part of the episode. Yeah. It's it's there to drive the plot forward. It's not really there as a means in and of itself. Um, yeah. But there are, I think, a couple of parallels, I think, especially between Decker and the machine where they're both mm. they both have a sort of single minded purpose in the episode. Yeah. Uh, where the machine, of course, well, the single minded purpose diegetically is destroying planets to, to refuel itself um and and the you know the 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 sort of story level um yeah. single-minded purpose of the machine just to drive the plot forward and then of course you have decker who is captain ahab and just wants to destroy the thing and that is what he is going to do and he is going to do whatever he needs to do to get through it yeah extreme and which goes with definitely the show believes that extremism that does not waver in the face of uh other information or you know, changes his mind or reasonableism. I mean, several times we've seen Kirk change his mind. That was the entire point of the um, the arena uh, was that, you know, just chasing something with one purpose in mind does not – is going to end up destroying everybody. Yeah, totally. And, you know, Decker what, does not listen to reason. Everybody is saying, look, that's – we understand, but that's not the way we have to do this. And, you know, here's the information which tells us this is the way that we should do this. And he does not listen to reason because he has made his course and he does not waver. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I think that's interesting, too, because if you think about Decker's actions in terms of when he takes uh, control of the Enterprise, um, I think that's really a scary moment for the audience because this is a man that destroyed one starship and now he has just taken over our starship. And you you see every single, like they show reaction shots of the crew and you can very obviously see that written on every single one of those face. Shit, this guy just destroyed, you know, we're going to be the next constellation. Everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I thought it was interesting that the, this regulations about who can assume command and stuff like that, that's a plot point in this new Star Trek movie, which I yeah. was kind of funny. Like, Oh, they kept with that. Um, a lot of JJ Abrams this week. Yeah, that's weird. There, there is uh there is a lot of that in Star Trek. I, I like mean, that. that. They do that. I think, a yeah, lot. well, not a lot, but it, it is something that, that but happens. it was, it, it, that was an interesting thing because I do like it when they figure out when, when they're being told there's no way of, you know, figuring out, you know, going around these rules again, going with the shows, not wanting to, Accept a failure condition, figuring out how to use the rules against it. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that I find as, and this is again, 60s television versus today television, one of the downsides of having an anthology series is this is kind of what, like episode six or something like that of mm-hmm. the second season. And this is a gigantic machine of mysterious origins that can destroy the entire galaxy. The episode before that was some random planet with a snake thing like this is a season finale this may be a this is a big challenge that they're facing at least in terms of impact see i actually disagree with you and i like the fact that this episode is one off and that it comes at a random point in the season because they even make the point at the end of the episode again maybe it's a little too on the nose but is there another one of these out there and we don't know space is big and yeah one of the things that Star Trek does well is that it's a show about exploration of the unknown. And there's no logical reason why this, while it is a momentous event, would happen at any one point and in any sort of narrative flow. Um, uh, space is big. Yeah. We run into things when we run into them. Uh, that makes sense. At the same time, I mean, I, I, I know the Mass Effect series is essentially the main plot of that is what if there, you know, 
answering that question with, yes, there are a lot of doomsday devices out there, and you've got to fight every single one of them, and how do you do that? That's the overarching plot of that series, and I find yeah. from a from a narrative perspective, that feels a bit more almost satisfying because it feels like it, it fleshes out the world and the universe and makes it seem like all of this is connected rather than just space isn't space here is a series of isolated things, none of which affect anything else. And in a way that almost makes the stakes seem lower because, you know, yes, we're told that this will eventually attack everything in the galaxy, but for the most part, every problem has been local. And solving any problem has not made life better for anyone in any other quadrant of the galaxy by any degree. Well, I mean, except for the fact that they stopped the galaxy-wide Romulan war. They stopped a galaxy-wide Klingon war. And and Um, has anybody talked about that? They did mention the Klingons once. Okay, well, that was No, I think, you know, that's the thing, though. I mean, you know, we don't really get a sense that they're sitting around talking about current events. And, I mean, how often do you talk about current events in your own life? all the time no you don't but i'm also not partial i'm not partially responsible for making sure that current events get out of hand i haven't affected the trajectory of any current events like you would think that the people on the starship like the current events the political situation of the galaxy the all of that matters on a day-to-day basis to Captain Gertie. Sure, it does, know. but you have to... I mean, what what you're forgetting, of course, is that what we see on screen is, uh, you know, 2 to 5 p.m. on yeah, Wednesday. of course. Like, so they're, they're busy dealing with what's going on currently. I mean, when I'm at work and I'm doing something, I'm not really thinking about um, Syria. Yeah, and they do... I mean, I at the same... Yeah, again, at the same time... They finish something, it's finished forever. You said that there were episodes in later series where they talk about the results of Kirk's actions. Um, you know, definitely, again, Wrath of Khan. I've seen that already. Um, Wrath of Khan makes Space Seed a much richer and more interesting episode. And I guess I can s- it, that everything is a one-off makes everything seem a lot flatter than it is. I guess. I mean, I, I guess again, I it's, can it's, see it, that. It, 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 it's um, my reaction to the conventions of the time. I find that they aren't as detailed as they or interesting as they could have been i i think i i mean i can kind of agree with that and kind of disagree with that just on the level of um you know there is a benefit to constructing your show as an anthology of course and we've definitely seen and i feel like if you can do a serialized approach well then i'm all for it but I think we see two more more often than not, I think television production has gone too far in the opposite direction where most of the stuff that is like highly praised is this serialized yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of television shows that really don't need a lot of this serialization get it just because that's the fashion of the time. And so I would caution you to I would caution you against criticizing the original series for being not serialized enough or not, you know, too anthologized or or too separated just because that's a fashion just as what you're used to in television production is a fashion as well. I do agree that post lost like mid 2000s TV series went a little too far and so many ones that were canceled that, you know, had this setup that nobody cared about. That being said, I think there is a medium. I mean, The Apple is a very poor episode because they have no understanding that they did the same exact shit during Return of the Archons and This Side of Paradise and uh, uh, Who Mourns Vatanias. I mean, if the if the, those three episodes essentially might as well not have happened as far as The Apple is concerned. Wouldn't it have been a much more interesting part of that philosophical discussion for – you know, them to say, well, Jim, when you, you know, saved the, you know, when you've defeated Landrew, you know, this was your reasoning and this was that decision. Or, you know, what if Kirk said, yeah, you know, it was right to do, to save that colony from the evil spores, but they were Federation. You know, do I have that right here? That would, I think, give it a lot more depth and interest to the series. As it were, it's a, you know, they have to assume a clean slate every time and they can't build to a higher level. Yeah, you can go a little too far in either direction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to say about uh, the Doomsday Machine? I appreciated it. Well, good. I would give it seven triples. I give it eight. Wow. 
Yeah. But I would give it eight, but it has Chekhov in it. If brief Chekhov, though. Yeah. He's not in it much. Does that matter? Okay, I, I, we're, we're going to end it here. But I just And wanna... Noah Hura. Yeah, Noah Hura in either episode. I was sad to see that. I, don't, I'd for, I had forgotten that she disappears sometimes, and I don't know who knows where she... I don't know. Maybe she was sleeping. I don't oh. know. Um, she was... Her, her band was playing, uh, like, a concert series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want to bring up one thing, um, which is... Uh, I know you haven't seen much Next Generation. You've seen some. Yeah. Um, and, and this is something that maybe I just want to make a statement because I just thought of this while we were watching these two episodes for this week. Uh, everyone hates Wesley Crusher. That's understood. That's almost a joke at this point. I will postulate that um, Chekhov is the Wesley Crusher of the original series. I don't. And or Wesley Crusher is the Chekhov of the next generation. And I had forgotten how annoying <laughs> Chekhov is, at least early on. And um, don't really understand why Wesley Crusher gets all the hatred when, when Chekhov is... Perhaps not as annoying, but it's creepy in other ways. And so I will just throw that out there um, to the fandom. Maybe we should start hating Chekhov as well. What if we put the two of them in a room together and just see which kills the other first? I we tell each other, "Hey, you'll get you. Well, you'll get promoted to full time if you kill the other." I think that they would both just cry. I know, and it would be hilarious. And then we'll sell videos of that. And it'll be a 23rd century sensation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll see you next week. We are talking about Cat's Paw and I Mud. I have to say, I read the description of Cat's Paw on Netflix. I can't fucking wait because it sounds like one of those episodes. We'll, we'll get into why. I can't why, wait. We'll get into why Cat's Paw is um, next week. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, join us next week for those two episodes, Cat's Paw and I Mud. <laughs>